Today's scripture reading is Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In this blessing, then, only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Thanks, Dan. Jonathan, can you make it a big screen again? Pin the video. And uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, uh, thank you for the free and beautiful gift that we've received in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, as we look now at the beginning of Romans 4, that you would just open that up to us, that it it would blossom like a beautiful flower before us and that we would be captivated by the glory of what you've accomplished in your son on our behalf. And Lord, thank you for your mercy to us. Lord, I wanna lift up Sandra's brother, Joe, who has got COVID-19. I thank you for uh, the progress that he's making in recovering, that they're able to reduce the amount of oxygen he's on. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would just continue to lead him through that and uh, and bring him healing, um, restoration, and, and put him back on his feet. And uh, Father, uh, have mercy on us. Lord, as we watch the numbers of of COVID-19 patients rise, um, we just pray, Lord, that you would um, stem this plague. Um, Lord, I I think of a couple of times in Exodus when the plague broke out. And for example, you told the priests to fill their censers with incense and go out amongst the camp to stop the plague. And Lord, the, the incense we know in Revelation is a picture of the prayers of your saints. So Lord, as uh, your instruments in this world, as, as your priests in this world, a nation of priests, Lord, we want to offer up prayers on behalf of all of those around us, Lord, that you would uh, end the plague soon, that the, the, um, the disease would uh, begin to, to peter out and wear out and go away. And so have mercy on those who have it, uh, protect those who don't have it yet, and we pray for healing and recovery for everyone. Um, Lord, now uh, we just pray that you would be with us in this text. Lord, show us what you have to say. 
Uh, these are important words, and we want to understand them well. So open your text to us. Holy Spirit, be at work at us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So um, remember where we did last week? Uh, we ended chapter 3, and it was a bit of a technical discussion of what justification is. And what we said last week was that justification is better than being declared innocent. Um, to be declared innocent, a judge would bang his gavel and go, you're innocent, go free. Uh, but one pastor pointed out to be declared righteous, to be declared, to be justified is not just to be declared innocent, but to have a credit put to your account so that the judge would not just say go free, but welcome in. And, and that's the picture that, of what God does. So what Paul told us last week is it's the righteousness of God, um, that it's available to us through faith because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And what we meant by the righteousness of God is it's a, what the reformers called an alien righteousness or a foreign righteousness. It's not ours. It's God's righteousness given to us so that we can be welcomed in and brought in on his behalf. And then Paul ended the discussion by talking about boasting. What, what have you got to boast about? This isn't your righteousness. This isn't what you've done. You can't tell everybody how great you are and how, uh, you know, God, you owe me because I'm such a good person. Boasting is excluded. And so that was what we saw last week. Uh, where we're going to go this week is Paul is still continuing that theme of what it means to be justified and how we're justified and why we're justified by faith alone. Um, and he's going to give us a, a historic precedence for Jews and Gentiles both to be justified by faith. Uh, so that's where he's going to take us to this morning at the beginning of chapter 4. What we're going to see in this section is the gift of justification, the blessing of justification, and then in the end we'll talk about the result of justification. So, uh, so let's take a look here. So he starts with, uh, what shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So he's going to point to a historical figure, Abraham, and he's still talking to the Jewish element of the Roman church because he says, our forefather. Now, what we'll hear later on is Abraham is the father of all who believe. So Paul doesn't, and, and Paul doesn't forget that for a moment. He says, our forefather, and then he appends, according to the flesh. So he's talking to the Jews who are saying, we are physically descended from, from Abraham. Uh, that's who he's addressing this question to. Uh, but what Abraham figures into the Jewish mindset, at, at that time at least, is he was apparently a source of uh, assurance that the, the Jews at the time had. For example, uh, when uh, John the Baptist came out baptizing and the Pharisees come out to him, he says, don't presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So he, he looks to the people and, and they're coming, assuming a certain thing, and it's based on, on the fact that Abraham is their father. Um, a similar thing happens in John 8, uh, when Jesus is dialoguing with the Jews they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say he will become free? So they're looking to Abraham as, as the source of assurance, this like, he, he's our guy. He's, he's what we're, we're, um, we're hoping in is because God made a covenant with Abraham. We're his children, so we're in. And what Paul has been telling us, and he said this a couple of weeks ago when he talked about circumcision, is that's not enough. Um, just to declare um, the... the um, um, Abraham is your forefather, the, the legacy, the, the, um, the offspring issue. So he says, well, what, let, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Let's go back and understand what Abraham did. What should we say was gained by Abraham? 
Um, so what did Abraham get from this? Why is that he would be the one we would point to? And he, he throws the question out. He says, if Abraham was justified by works, in other words, if, if Abraham was declared to be righteous because of the things that he had done, then he would have something to boast about. He would have something to say, hey, look, and remember, he just finished saying boasting is excluded. You can't boast. So what he's saying here is if, if Abraham is justified by his good deeds, if he is declared righteous by his good deeds, then he has something to boast about. And then he throws this phrase in, but not before God. Now, when he says not before God, he doesn't mean to say, well, not before God, but he could boast before men. That, that doesn't really make much sense. I think what he means is he, could, he would have something to boast about, but not before God, because all of that boasting and all of those good works would not be sufficient. They wouldn't be enough to justify yourself before God. So, so even if you do these good works, they're not going to be sufficient um, to go before God and say, see, this is, this is what's going on. So where he goes then is he says, for what does the scripture say? Remember, the Jews had the blessing of the oracles of God. So now he appeals to the oracles of God. He says, all right, so let's take a look at Abraham. How was Abraham right with God? How was he put in a right relationship with God? What does the scripture say? Uh, I love that phrase. Uh, one of the things that we say in the Evangelical Free Church, it's kind of one of the mottos is, where stands it written? And what we mean is, um, the Bible is our authority. So if you're going to say something, we want to know where you're getting it from the scriptures. So if somebody showed up to our church and said, you know what, if you don't wear mismatched socks on alternate Thursdays, you can't be saved. Um, our response would be, after we stopped snickering, our response would be, where stands it written? Show me that from the scriptures. And if you can't, then I don't have to believe it. So what Paul does here is a good evangelical response. What does the scripture say? And so he appeals to that and he quotes Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this is how Abraham became How did he become? Somebody's unmuted. There we go. Um, how, did, uh, how did Abraham have a right standing with God? He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what, what Paul then unpacks is he says, um, now to the one who works his wages is not counted as a gift, but as his due. So this is the gift of justification. So here's what, it, here's what he's saying. The way that Abraham was counted to be right with God was not based on his works because if it was based on his works, then God owed it to him. And you cannot make God your debtor. You cannot put God into a position where he owes you something. Um, as a matter of fact, Jesus explained that in Luke 17. He, he tells a story. He says, uh, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come in at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you may eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. So even if you did all of the things right, all you're doing is what you're, you're, um, you're told to do. You're, you're, this is what you were given to do. So that's why we are not justified by our works. Because if we did all of our works, it wouldn't be sufficient to make us right with God. That, that just won't do it. It would simply be what we were told or, or commanded to do. So that's where he goes. He says, he says that 
if you're basing it on works, then they're wages and you are not meritorious. You do, haven't done enough to be good in God's sight. But if it's a gift, if, if justification is just something that God gives to you, then it's not based on works and it can be more than you could have earned. I mean, isn't that what a gift is sometimes is I, I can't afford this, but somebody would give it to me and I would be very grateful for that. Um, they didn't give me a gift by telling me go out and work, earn enough, and then you can go buy it. That's not really a gift. So justification, again, is not what we're due. Um, Paul has established in, in two chapters worth, from uh, chapter one through chapter three, half on each end, that we are not good enough to do this, that we are all guilty of sin, that we haven't done that. So if we got what we were due, it would not be this blessing, it would be the wrath of God. That's what he'd been saying in those first few chapters, is the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So this wrath is coming because we have all sinned, because we all fall short, before, because we lack the glory of God, we miss the glory of God. So justification is not what, we, what we're due. And it's not just being forgiven for the wrong that we've done. It's above and beyond. It is a gift. And it's given to us as a blessing. And so if we look to Abraham, and we'll unpack this a little bit as we go, when we look to Abraham, Abraham received that gift by believing God, by having faith in God. And that's how he received that gift. So the next thing that, that Paul does is he doesn't just appeal to Abraham as the example. He also points out another person. So in verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. He justifies the ungodly. And remember last week, one of the questions, one of the issues that Paul tried to deal with is how can God be just? How can he be righteous and a good judge and at the same time justify the ungodly? And so that's what he says here, is the one who believes, that's the one who, that um, God justifies the ungodly, that person who believes. So he's not, he's saying you don't get your act together, be good enough, and then God justifies you. He justifies the one who needs justification, which is not the innocent, but the guilty. He justifies the ungodly. And that person's faith counts as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing. So this is the blessing of justification. And he appeals to David. So David wrote in um, Psalm, um, oh, I wrote it down. I don't remember where I wrote it down. I think it's Psalm 42, if I remember right. Um, David wrote this. He said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count sin. Notice in what he quotes, that's the first two verses of that psalm, there is not one drop of blessed is the one who is good enough to have uh, God bless him. It's, it's blessed is the one whose lawless deeds, they have lawless deeds and they're forgiven, whose sins are covered. They have sins, but God covers those sins. Blessed is the one who God will not count his sin. And so that's what it means to be justified. It's not just, I've erased your sins. It's more than that. I have made you to be blessed. I have made you and put you in a position where you are now actually righteous in my sight. I have declared you to be, to be uh, righteous. So where he goes now is he, he begins to ask that question beyond the Jewish community. Um, remember, the, the theme of the book of Romans is the power of, uh, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, everyone, Jew and Gentile. And so that's where he goes here is he says this blessing that David spoke of, this, this forgiveness and this covering of sins, 
is that only for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? Um, so this is how he's, he's going to unpack this. He asked the question um, earlier about what did Abraham gain? Well, Abraham gained righteousness by faith. But we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? So what was the condition? What was the status that Abraham was in when he was counted to be righteous? And he's asking the question for the Jewish sake. He said, was it when he was circumcised or uncircumcised that he was declared to be righteous? That's the question. And so what happened was in, um, in um, Genesis uh, 15, yeah, in Genesis 15, um, God comes to Abraham again and says that he's going to bless him. And Abraham says, but Lord, I don't have a son. Sarah is barren. I have, we don't have any children. So the person that's going to inherit everything that you've blessed me with, it's going to be Eleazar, one of my servants. It's going to depart from my house. So I don't understand, Lord. And so God takes him outside, walks him out of his tent and says, look at the stars. If you can count them, that's how many offspring you're going to have. So yes, right now you're barren, but that's what I'm promising you. And that's when it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God made a promise to Abraham and Abraham said, yeah, yeah, that's it. I believe that. So that's when he was justified by faith. That's when, he, when, faith, when uh, justification came to him, when he's declared to be righteous. But when did he get circumcised? Well, in the story, as you're reading through Genesis, it comes up pretty quick. But actually, I, I sat down and calculated it out, and it's about 15 years later. Um, I, I could go through all the, the details of it, but there's about two or three or four markers of time um, in the stories from Genesis 12 to about 17. And if you kind of piece it together, you can guesstimate that he was about 84, 83, 84, when he was declared to be righteous. But it was 15 years later before he received circumcision. So he was declared righteous long before he was circumcised. Circumcision doesn't impart that righteousness. So this is what he says. He says in verse 11, he received, that's Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So we're talking not about all Abraham's offspring right now. We're talking about Abraham himself. Abraham is justified by faith. He has put his faith and his hope in, Jesus, in, in God, um, in the promise that God had made that his, he would have offspring. God declared him righteous based on that faith. Fifteen years later, God meets him again and says, okay, now I'm going to give you the, this, um, this rite of circumcision, this, this mark that I want you to bear on your body. And so what Paul calls it is a sign of circumcision. It was the sign of the covenant with Abraham. This would be the thing that's external, that's physical, something that you could see that would say, this is how you're in the, you are in the covenant. Um, so he gives him the sign of circumcision, and it is as a seal of the righteousness he had by faith. Now, when you think of a seal, um, the, the, the idea would be like um, sealing a letter. Uh, the seal on the letter does not put something into the letter that wasn't already there. So if you write a, a letter to somebody and you sign it and you fold it up, you put it in an envelope, you close the envelope, and then you seal it with wax, that does not change the contents. It doesn't suddenly turn the content into your letter. You wrote the letter. It was already in there. The seal is a way of saying it's true. 
it, it's there, it's already there. So it shows that that is indeed your letter. It doesn't impart it. Um, it, it authenticates what's inside the envelope. It doesn't change it. So circumcision, Paul's argument is, circumcision, which came 15 years later, didn't change what Abraham had. Abraham had been justified by faith. So as he's walking this, this uh, life with God, and he comes to this point, and God says, okay, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to circumcise every male in your household. And from now on, any children eight days old and older, any male children eight days and old, old and older, I want you to circumcise them. And that act seals, it's this stamp saying, Abraham believed. It, it authenticates that that's what had happened before. And so why did he get justified by faith before he received circumcision? Well, Paul says the purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised. So remember at the beginning, I said, Paul said that he was talking about Abraham, our forefather, and then he adds on that little bit according to the flesh. Well, Abraham is not just the forefather of the Jews, though he is physically. He is the forefather of all who believe, and that's what he just says here. He is the father of all who believe without being circumcised. And so that comes from the covenant promise in, in Genesis 17. God says, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So Abraham is our father because we are of the faith of Abraham. Um, he is the father of a multitude. What he's seeing now from heaven is his offspring as numerous as the stars, which is exactly what God promised him. So that is the blessing of justification. Now we come to the result. How does that play out? What does it look like? You have faith in God. You trust him. He imputes to you this alien righteousness, this righteousness that is not yours. So then what happens? Then nothing that's not where he goes with it. So here's what happened in verse 12. Now he says, and to him, and to make him the father of the uncircumcised who were not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So there is a walking in the footsteps of faith that comes from justification. And I think to help us understand that, I want to go to the most antithetical text I could think of uh, to bring this up. Um, it's James chapter 2, because here's what happens in James chapter 2. James is talking about being justified, and what he says is he brings up, Abraham was uh, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But his argument is that, uh, as a matter of fact, um, verse 24, he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so that seems to be the opposite of everything that, that, um, that Paul has been telling us so far. And so what I wanted to do is bring this in now because I think it'll help us understand the relationship of the two and begin to put this together. Um, this, this verse, this, this section of scripture was one of the explosive points in the Protestant Reformation. Um, Martin Luther and the other reformers said, we are justified by faith alone. And their Roman Catholic counterparts would say, but wait a minute, the only time in the Bible that it says faith alone, it says we are not justified by faith alone. So you, you Protestants, if you got it wrong, 
you, you don't understand what's going on. You, you've distorted what the Bible says. We are justified by faith and our works. And so that's why we do indulgences. That why, that's why we have these, these other ceremonies is so that people could be justified in their works. So that was the, the problem. Now, um, Martin Luther specifically did not like this verse. As a matter of fact, he didn't like the book of James. Um, when he was putting together his Bible, you know, he translated the Bible into German. Uh, when it came to the book of James, he said at one point, it is an epistle of straw. Um, he didn't see the gospel in it at all. He didn't think it was, was a very good book. He didn't count it to be really part of the scriptures. He said, you know, if somebody else wants to put it in their Bible, that's fine, but I don't count it. Um, because at that point, they're questioning everything. They're, they're looking at everything again and asking, you know, what is the Bible? You know, we, we're, we're reforming the church. We need to ask that question. Thank heavens they left it in the Bible, because actually I think it's helpful. Now, this is not to say that I'm more clever than Martin Luther. Um, or John Calvin or any of the other reformers, uh, they had a lot that they were dealing with. They had numerous things going on all at the same time. And we've had 500 years to reflect on it. So that's why we can kind of back off a little and we don't have Rome barking over our shoulders and threatening to cut our heads off if we don't get this right. So we've had a little time with this text. So let's back up a little bit and now take a look at James, and then we'll bring it back to Romans and see how the two fit together. So here's, here's where we're going to start, James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and, and be filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Okay? Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him, or counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in this way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James is presenting this argument. Now, James is taking this from a very different perspective than Paul is. Where he's starting with is, I think he, he brings up the issue from the perspective of, of us looking at this. So he says that faith, um, apart from works, is dead. He doesn't say faith doesn't matter, or he doesn't say um, that you're not justified by faith. He, he includes faith in the equation, but he, he is adding on to it works. He says faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so that's a very important truth to say we are justified by faith alone, 
But we have to have real faith. That faith must be the kind of faith that would trust wholly in Jesus Christ. And if that faith is, is active and living and working in your heart, it's going to affect more than just a confession that says, I believe that to be true. It will, remember from the first part of Romans, the, the mind was darkened because it rejected God. The, the passions got tumbled and, and confused and upside down, and it resulted in bad works and worshiping false things. So if faith is there, then what we've done is we've at first put God back in the position mentally that he should be. Our, our, our thinking can be, begin to clear because we put God as the position of the creator, the ultimate position. Our hearts then begin to change because as we've recognized that God is the creator of all, we begin to worship and love him above everything else. And so now our desires begin to reorder. And once that happens, it manifests itself in what we're doing. And so that's what, that's what James is saying. He says, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. If, if you say, yeah, I believe this to be true about God, and it never affects the rest of your life, that's not saving faith. And the example that, that James offers us is, well, the demons believe. The demons have better theology than we do. They know that God is one. And, and it doesn't do anything for them because they shudder. So just to say, I believe this to be true, without having it tumble out and affect the rest of your life can't save you. And so I think the, the real hint to unpacking James correctly is he says, show me your faith and I will show you my faith. So what he's talking about when he says justified here is he does not mean justified in the sense of before God. What he means is you say that you have faith and therefore you're righteous by faith. Fine. Show me that. What does that look like? Does that faith do anything in you? Does it work out? If not, I will show you my faith because look at what it's done in my life. It has changed my orientation around. It has made me care about people I didn't care about before. It, is, it has done these things. So you show me your faith and you never do anything. I'm not impressed. But I can tell you, look, this is what I believe. And look, at this is how it affects my life. This is what it does in the rest of my life. He says, that's how you see the faith. And so when he says justified there, he doesn't mean justified before God. He means justified before man. Because faith apart from works is useless. If you believe and it doesn't affect anything else in your life, it's useless. But he says faith, with, faith was acting along with works. And so then he, he turns to Abraham. And he said that Abraham was justified when he offered Isaac on the altar. But, when, but then he backs up and says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. Well, if it was 15 years from when he was uh, declared righteous to when he was circumcised, my guess is it's probably closer to 30 before he offered Isaac on the altar because it's um, right after circumcision that uh, Ishmael is born and Ishmael is, is uh, circumcised. Um, and so Ishmael is circumcised. Isaac is born a little while later when he's 99. And then Isaac has got to grow up big enough to ask his father what's going on and be strong enough to carry the, the wood up the mountain with his father. So it's not this little baby. This is probably a teenage boy. So I'm guessing 30 years between his faith and his, um, his being justified by works, if you will. And, and so what I think, what I think, what I hope James is getting at, if I've got this right, is he's, he's saying Abraham was justified. And look what happened. 
when God said, offer your son on the mountain, Abraham's faith did what God said. So Abraham was told, Ishmael is not part of the covenant. He referred to, God referred to uh, Isaac as Abraham's only son a few times. And then he says, now take your son through whom the blessing will come, through whom your offspring will come, take him up on the mountain that I show you and sacrifice him there. And what Hebrews tells us is Abraham's faith didn't waver. He, he picked up the fire, he grabbed his son, he put some uh, wood on his back and said, let's go. What was he thinking? How could he reconcile that? Well, what he's thinking as he's going up the mountain is he said, well, God said that it would be through Isaac that my blessing would come, that the blessing to the nations would flow. God is telling me to take him up there and kill him. God must be able to raise the dead. Let's go. So that was the authentication. That was the outcropping. That was the showing forth of the faith that Abraham had. He's not saying, James is not saying he was not justified until he went up on the mountain and, and raised the knife over his son's chest. Because right after that, he quotes exactly when he was justified. He was justified by faith. So the two fit together in a very in, in important way. Paul is arguing with Jews who are trying to say that they're justified by the works or by the relationship to Abraham, and he's pushing that off. He's saying, no, you are justified by faith alone. James is looking at the church and saying, if you have faith, it plays out in your life. So he's taking it from a slightly different tack, but the two come together in what I think is a really important way. Um, and that's the end of the verse. That's the end of the section when, um, when Paul says, he is the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised. Remember he said circumcision isn't a matter of the flesh, it's a matter of the heart. He is the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Walk in the footsteps of the faith. Walking is not simply being able to confess a scriptural truth. That's not walking. That's important. I'm not dismissing it, but that's not walking. The biblical picture of walking is picking up and following in the footsteps of. So who is it that walk in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham, our father? Uh, back to John chapter 8. Jesus is arguing with these, these Pharisees, and they say, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your, your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. He had one father, even God. Skipping a little bit, Jesus said to them, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is the liar and the father of lies. So he goes back. If you were children, Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. What is he calling the Jews to do in John chapter 8? To trust him, to believe him. As a matter of fact, later on, he'll say, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. A Abraham didn't do anything to get to his day. He didn't build something to get to his day. Abraham saw his day and rejoiced. That's what he's calling the Jews to do at that point. Do the works of your father. What are the works of your father, Abraham? They are to believe. And then if you believe, then you will follow in and you won't be doing the works of the, your father, the devil. So that's how he's, he's unpacking this. This is the, the result of justification is not 
Um, I go, well, I, I feel better about myself, I, I believe, and um, thanks, bye. Um, the result of that justification is that we have been born again, we have been born anew, and now we walk in the faith of our father Abraham. We have the results. And so why is this important? Why is this, why is this something that Paul would spend some time on? After giving us that technical definition of, of justification, he wants us to see how important it is that this fact that we are justified by faith alone is not brand new. It's not something that Paul just invented that he came up with as, as you know, hey, this would be a great marketing scheme or something. It's ancient. It, it's very old. It goes all the way back to David, the great king. Oh, wait, it goes even farther than David. It goes all the way back to Abraham, our father according to the faith. So he's saying, look, this is demonstrable since Abraham. He could have picked Noah because Noah was declared to be righteous in all the earth, and he didn't do a thing. It wasn't until after he was declared to be righteous that he built an ark. Same thing with Abraham. Abraham is declared to be righteous, and then he does these things. So here's the, the picture is this justification that we have to achieve, to gain to ourselves, to draw to ourselves the righteousness of God as a gift, not a due, is not based on works. It's based on faith, and it's very ancient. It has a long history, a, a repeated history of people throughout the scriptures who did or didn't receive that justification, and we can see that God is faithful over and over and over again to do that. Read Hebrews 11. That is the, the faith chapter. These are the people who were justified by faith. It's a long, long history of God doing this over and over and over again, and it's worthy of our trust. So when Paul tells us in the first part of the scriptures, you really are that bad. You really are guilty. You really have sinned. You are fallen, and you have no hope before God, except then he gets to the good news. We are justified by faith. We are not declared innocent by faith. We are declared righteous by faith. The word for just, justice, righteous, and right are actually the same Greek word in, in, uh, in the Bible. It's... Uh, it comes from this common root that has to do with justice. And so it, it plays out in different ways. We are justified by faith alone, just like our father Abraham. And so what we're called to do then is to walk in the footsteps of that faith. So Abraham was called to do things that were difficult, that were uncomfortable. But because he believed, then he could do those because he believed that God would follow through on the promises that were made to him, he can go ahead and follow it, walk in those footsteps and do those very things. So do you believe that you are justified, that you are declared to be righteous by faith alone because of Jesus' blood? If you do, that has an impact in your life. That means certain things. That reorders the universe in your sight. It puts God back in the place that he should be. And once he's in that place, then your desires now begin to flow differently because you recognize that God is so good and so gracious that he sent his only begotten son to die in your place, to take your, your sin upon himself and to carry it away. That has an impact in the rest of your life. Your desires now fall into a better order. And that means that the works, the things that you do, the way you live your life now changes. It, it, it changes the way you understand things. And so for the first century, the, the struggle was between Jew and Gentile, and how does this all fit together? What Paul has done is he's dismantled that distinction between Jew and Gentile. Abraham is our father. 
Abraham is the father of all of us. And so again, we go to Galatians 3.29, for Abraham is our father for all who are in Christ, and then therefore we're heirs according to promise. We, we, have, we inherit the promises of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the, the glory of this. So what we'll do next week is we'll see what are the, uh, what are the things we gain from this. So first of all, we got the technical explanation of what justification is. Now we get the historical impact. This is what it means in history. This is a demonstrated historical thing. This is how it worked throughout time. And what we'll see next week is, okay, so since we're following in the footsteps of our father Abraham, circumcised and uncircumcised, since we're in there, what do we gain? What is the promise that God has given us? And that's what we'll look at next week. So with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, thank you for justifying us by faith alone. And when we see James say that we are not justified by faith alone, Lord, help us to remember what he is looking at, the perspective that he's looking at this from. Lord, that our works do not fit in with our justification. They are the result of them. And if the result isn't there, then the faith may not be there. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, to apprehend, to grab hold of this truth, that we are freely justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, by your grace, as a gift, and not a due. And, Lord, that that would then impact and, and flow out through the rest of our lives as our minds are renewed, as our hearts are renewed, as our, our passions are ordered, our thinking is clarified. Lord, help us to live like that in the world, to live as your people to do the things that you have called us to do when they're easy and when they're difficult. And Lord, we ask all of this in your name. Amen.